This evening's reading is from Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for him for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, 
are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, 
for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is God's word. But uh, let's pray as we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we know you do not waste your words and you have given us this account from Daniel's life and this strange dream because we need to hear it. So Father, help us to understand it rightly. Would your spirit come and apply it to us precisely, we pray, so that we may rightly respond in obedience and faith and hope in you, the Most High God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have noticed this week, even if you hate football, that um, Sir Alex Ferguson uh, is going to retire after 26 years as manager of Manchester United. I take it most will be aware of that. He's been phenomenally successful. Um, but imagine you knew nothing. You came from some obscure island uh, as yet undiscovered uh, in the South China Sea. Okay, it's a thought experiment. Run with me. Uh, you come from some obscure place. You've never seen a game of football. And someone takes you to Old Trafford and says, observe. And so you sit there or stand there and watch the game and you, you know, before the players' pictures appear on the big screen and, you know, the numbers come up and all the crowds cheer, the individuals come up. And then you watch these, uh, young men dance, not dance, run around the pitch. Well, maybe they dance. Maybe you view it as ballet. I don't know. Um, they run around the pitch and someone scores and they all have a big pile on and, uh, it's all very interesting and it's clear and evident to you that you're observing the most the most important thing about this whole game are the 11 men on the pit or the 22 on the pitch the 11 players it's clearly the most important thing and you bear not a moment's reflection upon the old man with the zip up cardigan who stands uh, somewhat grouchily at the sidelines you don't even notice him but of course you've slightly missed the point because players come and players go but Alex Ferguson has outlasted hundreds of players. And he's always been the most significant person there for the last couple of decades. He's the one who's in control. So there have been vastly influential captains and players, Robson and, and Ince, you know, Beckham, these influential characters, Roy Keane, dominant people. And yet, you know, they've been flicked on. And moved on when Fergie thought the time was right. Yes, players rise and players fall, but Ferguson outlasts them all. (laughs) Now, why do I give you that eulogy when actually I dislike Manchester United? (laughs) Oops, oops. Because it is a vague parallel to what's going on here in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel makes the point over and over again. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ outlasts them all. And actually, he's in charge. Not always obvious. You wouldn't always realize it. Not evident, perhaps. And at times, the kingdoms of this world 
are terrifying. And you think, what on earth is going on? But the Lord reigns. He's in control. And his kingdom, it will outlast all of them. Now, if you missed last week, oh, it was brilliant. Uh, but, um, oh. Uh, but anyway, we started to have a look at the book of Daniel last week. And essentially, Daniel is, as most will, perhaps some will know, in fact, uh, it's, it's slightly in two halves. Uh, so chapters one to six are the Sunday school stories that we're perhaps familiar with in the lion's den, etc. There's a danger with them. We may be familiar with them and think, silly stories, I know what they mean and miss the point. Then the second half, chapters seven to twelve, are not the narrative of Daniel's life, but they're visions that the Lord gives to Daniel. The danger with them is we read them and think, they're too complicated, and ignore them because they're just complicated and hard to work out. But the point of the two halves of the book is the same. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control. He is the Lord of history. He has planned history. He rules history. And he will vindicate his people. Same point in both halves. Now, there's another little division in the book, and uh, you may have missed it, because if you look down just at chapter 2, verse 4, uh, there's a footnote that the, uh, our Bibles, the NIV, give. And the footnote will tell us that from chapter 2, verse 4, through to the end of chapter 7, the text is no longer in Hebrew, as the rest of the Old Testament is, but is in Aramaic. Aramaic was the, uh, the common language of the time. So why this shift for chapters 2 to 7? It seems to be that chapters 2 to 7 are presented as these are really significant facts for the whole world to know. That the sovereign Lord reigns over all. Whereas chapter 1 and uh, chapters 8 to the end are much more about the history of God's people. And so they're in Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament. That seems to be the difference. And so what you get in all of these chapters, chapters 2 through to 7, there's a contest essentially. Which is really in charge? Is it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of men? Now, we won't spend any time on it, but here's a little a little thing. And this is basically what we'll uh, work through in the next few weeks. Oh, look at that. Um, but you'll see, the kingdom of man, we'll see today, it's fragile and transient. The kingdom of the Most High, it stands forever. There's a contrast next week. Nebuchadnezzar tries to kill. He can't because the Lord is powerful to save. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, I've achieved greatness and he's humbled like a beast of the field. Chapter 5, um, Belshazzar says, I am invincible, and he's killed. Uh, the Lord humbles him. Chapter 6, Darius tries to save Daniel from the lion's den, but he can't, but the living God does. Chapter 7, the kingdom of man is fragile and transient. The kingdom of the Most High stands forever. This contrast go, is going on. Okay, Who is really in charge of this world? Is it the Most High, which is how God is described in the book? Or is it the kingdoms of man? Okay, well, we'll come back to that. Question chapter two then really is, who controls the future? Who controls the future? Now, there's loads here. It's a long chapter, but let's try and um, uh, simplify it. Uh, there's some points on the sheet. There's quite a full outline. The aim is to try and push through it as, um, with some pace. Okay, so three things to say. Uh, no man knows the future. The God of heaven reveals the future. And God's kingdom dominates the future. Let's work through them. First then, uh, verses uh, 1 to 30, no man knows the future. Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, no, that's chapter 3. Wrong chapter. I could have gone wrong. Chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. 
He didn't dream a dream of days gone by. He's having dreams of the future. God has given him dreams. It's not that he's just eaten too much strong French cheese that evening, uh, but that um, God has placed these dreams into his head. So he's troubled and he couldn't sleep. There's no sleeping tablets in those days. There's no late night films to watch on the telly. So what does he do? Well, he summons the ministry of magic. Verse 2. Because culturally you'd have a whole ministry of magic. You'd have a civil service department dedicated to interpreting visions and dreams. That would be fairly common at the time. But Nebuchadnezzar is somewhat cynical about the productivity of the ministry of magic. Or perhaps more accurately, the veracity of uh, what they're producing. How does he know that what they're saying is true? And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's the most powerful man in the world of the day, rules the Babylonian Empire. He says, verse 5, well, here's what I've firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was in and uh, was and interpret it, I'll have you cut to pieces, your houses turned into piles of rubble. How about that then? So I've looked at the Ministry of Magic. I think the head count is too high, so I'm going to cut the head count by cutting the heads off. That's how we'll do it. And the economy needs a bit of a boost, so I'll destroy your houses and that'll get the uh, manufacturer, uh, the uh, in construction industry up and running again. So it's a fairly direct tactic. Oh, but look, there's a bit of carrot as well, verse 6. If you tell me the dream, you can get gifts and honors and rewards. Uh, probably verse 7, there's a nervous laugh. <laughs> ah, yes. If you tell us your dream, we'll interpret your dream for you. Oh, great king. Verses 8 and 9. Uh-uh-uh. We've played this game a few times. I'm not sure you just don't make up porcupines. You tell me what I dreamt and what it means, or you die. How about that? And I'm an absolute monarch, so that's the way the game works. No longer a nervous laughter, presumably verse 10. There's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No, great king, however great and mighty has ever asked such a thing. That's not fair. You've got to give us a clue. What letter does it begin with? We don't want to die, is what they're saying in verse 10. Not fair. Verse 12, off with their heads. This made the king so angry and furious, he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Oh dear. Theologically, the key point is verse 11. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. They do not live among men. You're asking the impossible, only a god, only someone outside this world can do what you're asking. It is beyond any man to know the future. We can't do that. Well, that was true then, that's true now. Well, this is a timely comment, isn't it? Um, in the West, we've wavered, I guess, over the last few centuries or decades between great optimism about the future and great pessimism. So at the beginning of the 20th century, enormous optimism about what we can achieve. Mankind can achieve wonderful things. A couple of world wars later, and post-war austerity, everyone's a bit less optimistic. And then there's Cold War anxiety. But then, you know, the, the communism fails and um, everyone's much more positive. Look what we can do. And liberal democracy and, uh, and capitalism has won. And uh, the historian Francis Fukuyama can declare this is the end of history. 
it's over, and now liberal democracy wins, and everyone's a lot more positive, and, oh, you know, wonderful, we can be optimistic about the future. That doesn't go so well. For us in the West, there's the rise of Islam, makes everyone very nervous, no one feels very secure anymore. Gordon Brown had proclaimed the end of boom and bust, but that looks like an act of, or a statement of hubris now. And everyone's a little more nervous about the future. And economically, how do we spare the UK from a decade of stagnation? The answer is, well, no man knows. You get a hundred PhD economists, you get a hundred different answers. No man knows. Because actually tinkering the economy over here takes a few years for it to work its way through. We all know that's complicated. No man knows the future. And then on just on a personal level, Some people are just so determined, as far as they're possible, to just nail down the future. I can plan this, and then I'll go there, and then we'll do that. And, you know, some people, it'll be too rude, you know, but some people sit down with a piece of paper, and I shall marry then, and then we'll move there then, and we'll have baby one then, and then we can have to move there for baby two. And you can't, what? You can't nail down the future like that. 